Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I am your host, Mark Schindler. As always, if you have not before, uh, please be sure to rate and review the, the Indie Cornrows Podcast on Apple Podcasts. really helps us out, uh, kind of grow this thing and get some more exposure. Um, really excited today to be joined by my co-host, as always, Tom Lewis, and also Dave Searle from over at the Feed House. Feed house, Jesus, man, it is that field house. Yes, you're just eating everything. You're eating all the indie cornrows, apparently. Um, Dave, how are you doing? Today, man? Yeah, doing well. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. So it's good to chat with you guys. I uh, got a few things to talk about. I think. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah man, I could. I think it would almost be beneficial to just have a live feed today instead of ever stopping. Cause I think I, have, <laughs> this is my second of five podcasts lined up today. So we have a oh, man. lot to get done. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm oh, doing fantastic. Just keeping that uh, NBA trade line Twitter feed rolling. Yeah. Just waiting for things to drop. <laughs> yes, exactly. I have Twitter open right now just to be safe. Um, so we have, we're, we're going to just start off talking about some of the NBA news that's dropping first before we get a little bit more Pacers focused. Um, number one, Chris Paul is now Phoenix Sun, which that had gained traction a little bit last week. And now it's a deal, um, which is intriguing. The West just gets even more confusing. Um, I don't really know what the West hierarchy looks like after that, but what, what were your kind of initial reactions to that? Cause I know I was waiting. I was kind of on my phone for like the first 45 minutes of the moratorium being, being open. I was like, okay, Bruce Brown, like, cool. I don't think that, that Detroit should have traded him, but good for Brooklyn. And then I'm just waiting there. I'm like, okay, where is this? Like, wh- where are we going? And then bam, just like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we kind of knew from early reporting that that was a likely possibility, but um seeing that the Suns were, you know, they gave up several players going back the other way, including Rubio and Oubre, mm-hmm. um, another draft pick. So was it 16 first-round picks the uh, OKC has through like 20, 26 or something like that. I don't know if any of those guys, any of those picks can actually do anything on the court for them, but um, they, have, they have the stockpile. So it'll be interesting to see if OKC – I mean, I don't know who else they would get rid of. I, obviously, Gallinari is a little older and maybe Steven Adams. Although Steven Adams is surprisingly, he's only like 26, 27, I think. He so, plays like he's 34, he, though. Yeah, no, <laughs> it, always, like, it always yeah. seems like he's in the last two years of his yeah, he's really <laughs> veteran down. career. But, um, so, yeah, they're kind of like, once again, r- rolling the back and starting over. But uh, I wish they would go to Seattle and start over with all those picks. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, Tom. Uh, but yeah, the, you know, like Devin Booker, if he's going to make a go with the Suns, I guess it'll be this year. They're going to go for it and see what CP3 has in the tank. And I don't know. That's an interesting team because they were so entertaining in the bubble, um, as you mentioned. And and uh, now, you know, they're adding, adding some veteran gravitas to the mix. So should be fun to watch. I think it seems to make all the sense in the world. It's, I don't think that 
with with respect to Ubre and respect to Rubio, I don't think that they gave up yeah, a major yeah. piece for this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they signed those guys to be kind of veteran presence. Um, you know, obviously Ubre is a, a little bit younger, but basically it's B plus players to fill out the rotation. They took a clearinghouse of a lot of those guys in a future pick that probably won't be super great in order to add a Hall of Famer, a Hall of Famer that seems like he is ready to take a not fully deferential, but kind of a backseat role to Booker and mentor guys and like lead a, a team full of young players uh, to playoff success, just like he did with OKC last year. He gets to join a long line of uh, Phoenix uh, greats uh, that played the point guard position. You know, half the point uh, point guards in the Hall of Fame seem like they're going to have a Phoenix Suns uniform, at least on the resume, which is a kind of a cool thing to be able to do. Yeah. And then, you know, Bridges, Aiton, uh, and Booker, that's a good young core. You add in that Hall of Fame guy to try to push them a little bit farther, and then they'll make the playoffs, it seems like, with that team and give them some experience. Nothing but positives for Phoenix. You know, they are a year removed from making some pretty questionable moves in the offseason, and I think with this one, they just basically hit a big giant red button that says clear out some of those mistakes or maybe some of those kind of iffy deals and add a Hall of Famer. I mean, I love it for Phoenix. It's great. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the biggest thing, too, like you mentioned, they didn't like I mean, Ubre and, and, and Rubio are nice, but I was surprised they didn't even give up. They didn't have to give up the 10th pick. They have the 10th pick this year. I was thinking if they're trading for Chris Paul, that's part of the package. They got to keep Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson because I know Cam Johnson was a sticking piece for them. So I mean, yeah, they're going to be an exciting team. I don't know if they're a top four seed or anything like that, but with the way the injuries and everything can shake down, you never know. Um, my favorite thing that dropped out, uh, Michael Lee, who used to write for The Athletic and is now at The Washington Post, tweeted out, the Wizards traded Kelly Oubre for Trevor Ariza. The Suns just flipped him for Chris Paul. Um, that's that's where we're at. I, I One thing that I'm interested to kind of keep an eye on, partially because I am a – I, I like Kelly Oubre. He's on an expiring. He's coming off injury, so his trade value is relatively low right now. Um, he's someone that I would love to see the Pacers target because I do think he will get redirected out of this deal because um, he's a little bit – he's not on the older side, but con considering what OKC is trying to do right now, I don't know how willing they're going to be to re-sign someone who's coming off injury and kind of doesn't – they're not really sure where he's at in the league yet. Um, like you mentioned with Gallinari, I mean – it. Oddly enough, I think Gallinari could end up in Phoenix. I know they have the cap space to do it, and there have been like some rumors of that too. So that would be just wild to see that happen too. Um, a very great kickoff to uh, to start off free agency season. Absolutely, um, and it, it, I could be curious about Ubre. It's because he's got a little bit of a pricey deal, doesn't he? I think. And yeah, I think so he's about Phoenix. fifteen or sixteen million. So it'd have to be some major piece for the Pacers to go out. I mean, basically, what are you looking for a Vic trade for uh, Ubre? That would be that's, the, uh, well, the we'll do a Vic trade eventually. Yeah, um, I mean that's possible. I don't. See, but see, then Vic would make even less sense for for OKC. So I don't know. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to that one. But um, also of note in terms of free agency, a little bit more tailored for the Pacers. Scott Agnes tweeted out today. Um, obviously, as we know, Gordon Hayward has a player option. Um, but he dropped a little nugget saying that he's a player to keep an eye on in regards to the Pacers. So obviously Scott knows what he's talking about. has a really good ear to the ground. So that is intriguing to say the less. Uh, I mean, to, yeah, I think that's used the term correctly, but um, you know, just obviously <laughs> looking at all of the reports that have came come out in terms of linking Gordon Hayward to Miles Turner, Caitlin pointed out to me on a podcast this morning that um, Miles Turner just re-released the promo video that he had done by a social team. And the thumbnail is now him 
uh, yamming on, on Gordon Hayward. So that's an interesting thing to add on to. Um, what, what are your thoughts on Hayward and, and the idea of him being a pacer somehow? Uh, it seems to me that there, there's a lot of things about that that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously the Pacers, there's some hope with new Nate that he's going to figure out uh, smart ways to be able to incorporate two centers. But the truth of the matter is they got two centers. So, you know, it's trying to balance the roster if there's a way to do it in a way that makes sense. Um, it's always something that the Pacers are going to have to take a look at. Obviously with Gordon Hayward, his injury uh, wasn't kind of a tissue injury. It's something they should be able to fully recover from. And it looked like last year he was playing pretty well. So it looks like he should be good to go um, in the future going forward. I think it's really hard uh, for Indiana to find uh, plus players, all-star caliber players uh, that want to be in Indiana. And it seems like Gordon Hayward is like, probably number one on the list of guys that theoretically, I mean, don't know him personally, but being born and raised um, in Indiana, choosing to play college basketball um, in Indianapolis, it seems like uh, there's a pretty good path to him actually sincerely wanting to play uh, with the Pacers and um, with uh, coming off the injury and kind of where he's at in his career now. I think it's also a good possibility that he's not going to want a max contract. Uh, Maybe that, four years, 80 million just seems to be like the Pacers deal du jour. They just want to get as many plus starters as they can at around that money. They've got Sabotas, they've got Turner. They offered it to Oladipo. They gave it to Brogdon. And like, it seems like their strategy kind of is let's get four guys on that kind of deal. And if Hayward is the kind of guy that says, I want to settle in long-term, I want to be a part of a team's top three, top four, and be a major part of the offense. And I'm willing to play for about that amount of money. If all that ends up being true, you know, swapping uh, Miles Turner out for that um, seems like something that at minimum, the Pacers should take a really hard look at. Your follower account just dropped immensely because apparently you just shit on Miles <laughs> Turner. So I, uh... I I've def- you know what? I have shed a lot of blood defending Miles Turner. So if anybody unfollows me, uh, I feel like I'm on the on the cutting edge of uh, Pacers Twitter uh, defenders of Miles Turner. So uh, hopefully I, I get a, a lifetime achievement award for that. You can only hope, right? <laughs> um, I think it's just it's wild. I mean, as much as I love Miles, like I, I think Caitlin and I were talking about him this morning and his time as in Indiana, just because maybe by the next time Caitlin and I do a pod, he might not be a Pacer. Um, I mean, that's entirely in the cards. Um but just looking in terms of the idea of fit, I think that's the biggest thing. Like Miles, I think we, I don't think we, I actually think we sometimes underrate his defense because like looking at the the roster last year, um, the fact that they finished sixth in defense is still mind blowing to me. I have no idea how that happened in large part due to Miles and, and Dan Burke and Nate McMillan. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just, he's such a negative on offense right now. Just part of it is his role. Part of it is him and not being able to fit into his role. So I think it's a really ugly conglomeration of stuff that I don't know if a new coaching staff is going to figure out. And even if a new coaching staff does figure it out, how great of an offense is that? So I think I just look at Gordon Hayward in terms of he put together arguably his best season ever last year, which you can obviously in terms of career averages, like it wasn't his highest average, but ridiculously efficient year plays really good defense. Um, And more importantly, like his defense would be great for the Pacers because there are very few guys with his size on this team that can actually play defense. Um, TJ Warren is like the only one and he's still like working on being a better defender. Um, I just think it improves the versatility of the roster, improves them offensively. 
And I always want to point out too, even though this team's always been lauded as being a defensive team, when they're at their best, it's when they're a really good offensive team. The 2000 final team was number one in the league in offense. Um, the 0304 team was top five in offense, I believe, somewhere around there. They were definitely top 10. Um, so I think that's just something important to point out. Gordon Hayward is a winning player and would make sense for the Pacers. Ratio me for it. I don't care. Um, well, I think with uh, with uh, Hayward, it does give the Pacers some flexibility to continue kind of reshaping things if they want to, you know, um, thinking about Victor. But, uh, you know, I, the, the only thing I hate is thinking about – I think Miles would be great with that Boston team, <laughs> um, which wouldn't be good long-term for the Pacers. But, you know, for him personally, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's interesting. I, I have – I know, you know, Hayward be about the big house at the Hawthorns and Fishers and um, his kids and everything go to school here. I know I, I keep hearing about everybody seeing him, dropping him off in the carpool and things like that. I'm like, my God, the guy is here. We have all these rumors. And, and I think that really fuels it. And I wonder, you know, I wonder if he, you know, we had Jeff T, we had George Hill. It wasn't a good experience being at home and playing for the Pacers. And I'm, I'm wondering if if he feels that way as well. You know, maybe everyone assumes, oh, yeah, he wants to go home. I wonder how much he really wants to be here all the time and playing for the Pacers. Um, that, that would be the only thing that kind of sticks in my mind is something where, you know, maybe he doesn't want to play. Maybe he would just be, you know, I wonder if he would look elsewhere in free agency. Uh, it's hard to say, but um, uh, it, it seems like, if there was going to be a deal like that, it would, it is just too natural a fit for him to, to be here. Yeah. And uh, I do remember reports uh, specifically someone, I wish I could remember who wrote this. I'm so sorry, but somebody wrote about the Utah jazz trying to use the fact that the city was so family friendly and such a good place to live as a, as an edge for more mature players to come and spend their career with the Utah jazz. But I do remember Gordon Hayward specifically being a big part of that article saying, it's I'm a family oriented guy. I've got kids. Like I really love the fact that I can have that kind of lifestyle here while playing for an NBA team. Okay. You don't want to uh, lean on that too hard, but a logic might yeah, dictate yeah. that that same mentality might go into him wanting to uh, live in Indiana. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, a really that's good why point. It's, when things are just too perfect, I always look for something. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Did you see what the, the news that just dropped by the way, Mark, I know you're keeping an eye on Twitter. There was no, oh no, what news just dropped? I am paying attention. It looks like uh, uh, James Harden is basically requesting oh, a trade. Oh uh, my gosh! Houston Rockets with uh, Brooklyn and Philly Brooklyn. pegged as his destinations. Ah <laughs> oh, man, come on! Well, dude, the East is just going to get better and better. Actually, I would say too. I mean, if James Harden's in Brooklyn, like that is, how do they even make that work? That's so weird. Like that's just such a funky fit. Like I get it. Like I think that would be an incredibly difficult team to beat. Like three of the best offensive players of the decade, but you have to play defense. Yeah, so, so if and... you're, we're thinking, obviously, the Nets are Sixers, we want both of them to fail miserably, which would be the best place for Harden to fail the best for the Pacers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think you bring Brooklyn? up the Nets. I, I yeah, like that's what I'm Brooklyn. thinking. I feel like it'd be Brooklyn. Because if it's Philly, they're going to probably get rid of Simmons, I would think, and then you got Embiid, and man, that's a – I just don't know, That's like a duo to tangle with. I, I personally, I don't know how, like <laughs> at, at least looking at trade value and stuff, like the 
the reported Nets package, like not to like talk down on, I mean, Karis LeVert's a nice player. He's not even that young. So don't say young player. He's like almost as old as Victor Oladipo. Um, I mean, Spencer did what he's like a capable starting point guard and Jared Allen is like yeah. a rim rolling big man who can block shots. But what, what is that? That is not worth James Harden. Like, I'm sorry. I don't care how many picks you add on top of that. Like if, if Houston does that, that's laughable in my mind. Um, yeah, I just, guess like if six, if the Sixers are going to send Ben Simmons, like, yeah, sure. I would take that in a heartbeat, but I, yeah, if I, I don't, I don't see at all how that's viable for the Nets. Uh, you know, I, I don't really see it either. And I don't see what other than Houston, just not wanting to deal with an unhappy player or something. They've got a better contract for years. So I yeah. hope that they're yeah. smart enough to stay patient and uh, try to use the best deal possible and say like, Hey, come blow us away. And if not, then we'll just roll back with the MVP. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, would, I don't see uh, what they would want to do uh, to uh, make that expedite that process. Just sit on them and keep the MVP. What's the big deal? Yeah, that yeah. seems reasonable, especially, uh, you know, they're dealing with Daryl Morey, too, in, in Philly. I don't know if that's a positive or a negative, but it seems like, um, you know, the way things fell out there, that they wouldn't be wanting to help him anyway. So, uh, yeah, I agree. It's like, okay, yeah, I want to play for Philly, too. But, you know, everybody gets has their contract, and he's a key player in Houston. That's the same kind of the same thing with Vic. You know, you, you – these guys can go through these phases where you say something, but just because you say something doesn't mean it has to happen. Um, and unless there's a pending free agency coming up, I'll Paul George, you know, what's the rush? Um, things can flip around and, and people can change their mind and all of a sudden start making amends and, and work things out. So uh, I agree. I don't think they should be in a rush to do anything. And, and don't forget that, uh, you know, OKC wasn't on that Paul George list, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. and they, you know, Pacers got quite a good package out of that. Um, who's this? Why? What's stopping every other NBA team from saying, wait, I think Harden's under control for two more years and he's got yeah. a player option for the third. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Speaking of small market teams that have a lot of players that they can roll in <laughs> on good contracts. And the, you know, we laugh, but, you know, just. I'm not saying the Pacers should do this. I'm not. There's a million different things, but since we're talking about the topic, um, yeah, you like, are. <laughs> <laughs> haven't thought it all the way through yet. But like, you know, Sabonis plus Brogdon plus young players and picks. Do you think Houston says no to that? Uh, Based on what I mean, you know, again, if Simmons is on the table, that's one thing. But if it's that Brooklyn package, I mean, how do you? Yeah, say, I mean, that's oh, better. Okay, than you would Brooklyn rather package. be in Brooklyn. I mean, why would, yeah. why would why would Houston care about that? No, that's a good point. I mean, that's definitely better than the Brooklyn package. Um, I think the only like, I mean, I guess it depends how in uh, in on the discussions of where he's going, he is, you know, because um, I mean, I, obviously, I think he has a relationship. He definitely has a relationship with Kevin Durant because they played together for a couple of years. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's a really good question. I have no idea what to think on that. Oh, one one note about fit that I haven't heard people bring up too much but with the Chips Harden is that he was specifically one of the things that made OKC draft him is that he said, "I'm cool with being like the the third guy." And, uh, and to two other talented players, maybe even completely off the bench, let me do my thing. But like, I'm happy to win titles and be in a complimentary role. And he even said before they ended up trading him to the Rockets that I'll be Ginobili. You just got to max me. Like, I don't right, care right. if I come off the bench. 
I don't care if my numbers go down. I just want to be paid like I deserve because of my talent. And OKC ended up not taking that deal, but he gave them the option to do that. And so that would be coming off MVP seasons. I don't know if he's still in the same place mentally, but that would be really interesting that at least in the past, he has specifically been someone who is actively willing to take a backseat to win games as long as he gets the money. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, too. But would he be willing to come off the bench to play with Harden 2.0, Victor Oladipo? <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, man, I'll never forget that report. That was, oh, God, that was abysmal. I had no idea what, where that came from. Um, so another piece of news that's also more Pacer-centric, uh, J. Michael reported that uh, basically all it, it came out that the Pacers have not at all um, worked out any prospects from this draft class. Uh, Jay Ma- J. Michael came out and reported that um, for the most part, the Pacers just aren't interested in this draft class. Um, they have the 54th pick, which is kind of like whatever, but that kind of points a little bit to maybe they'll sell the pick as much as I dislike that. Um, or they could be involved in some sort of package again, it's 54. So it's not really worth a whole lot. Um, but that's just something intriguing to keep an eye on as well. Even though I think there are some guys who would be interesting in 54. Uh maybe it's also somewhat of an issue of logistics of do we need to go through all these hoops and protocols in order to get a couple guys in for that 54th yeah. pick or do we have enough film that we could just sort of if we don't trade this pick for a future second uh maybe we have enough that we could just because you're just taking a stab at a guy at that point anyway I mean, yeah uh, i don't know how much nitty-gritty you need to get down to to see people in person in order to figure out what dart you're gonna throw at the board with that second half pick yeah, and I think they, you know, they talked to them all on Zooms and, and did all that stuff. But not to mention, I mean, this is they've been drafting these guys now for the extra several months. They're not drafting, but scouting these guys for the extra several months. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I I I agree that they they they're probably not real hyped on this draft. And with the fifty fourth pick, even more so, I, I guess that. Um, a lot of times when they're downplaying things, <laughs> other things tend to happen. So maybe they are involved in some trades. They could bring them a, a first round pick of some sort, but, uh, and, and they'll surprise everybody, but you know, it seemed like there's, uh, you know, several guys to take a flyer on at that 54. That would be, it would be interesting. So we'll see what they end up with. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess, this is kind of just an unfiltered question that I've thought of now. I mean, if let's say James Harden ends up on Philly or, or Brooklyn uh, or even, even without that though, but where, where do we think the Pacers are at right now? If you're looking at the, the East hierarchy. Oh, it's, I think, I think we need to wait a week. Yeah. To really kind That's of. That's probably a really good out. question. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause like right now, just in my mind, they're probably around six or seven um, feels like. So I don't know. I could be wrong on that. We'll definitely, you're right. We do have to wait. I'm getting way too, uh, this is my first <laughs> off season actually doing coverage. So it's like, uh, this is mind rattling. I'm used to just sitting on my phone and, and, and waiting to see what happens next. Um, the, the Pacers could stay at Pat, but it's at the point where that would surprise me. Yeah, I think, okay, well that, that's my question. Right. Caitlin asked me this this morning too. Uh, would you be disappointed if the Pacers stood Pat or, or what would, quantify this as a disappointing uh off season for you i i don't know if i'd use the word disappointment i'd just be shocked yeah you know we've kind of alluded to all this vic stuff and i don't know if you did yeah we're gonna bring it up much but yeah okay well have you 
See, we've we've heard from one teammate about this, and it's Miles Turner arguing with Vic's sister, yeah. and that's it. <laughs> yeah, nothing, guys. Nothing. Not a tweet. Not a press statement. Not a quote. Not even an anonymous teammate. No one has said a word about this report other than Tom Cream called Vic yep. and said, "Hey, Vic told me he didn't say it." You know, and um, uh, that's that's concerning. You know, you'd think that there'd be at least a little bit of something. And you know, uh, in these situations, sometimes players are forced in front of uh, microphones because it's after a practice and they have to say something kind of uh, wishy-washy about supporting. But you know, they it's completely voluntary for them to say anything, and no one has said a word. Um, and so, you know, that's pretty interesting how that's going to play out. But it's uh, you know, silence speaks volumes in, in that uh, specific context. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I feel like it, it seems like they are going to stay pat at least for a little while. I mean, I'd be shocked if they made it through the whole season. <laughs> um, but with specifically on Vic, I mean, I really feel like he is not moving. I mean, I, I don't think he would have come out and said anything through his, you know, through Shams um, or through his agent um, if he wasn't planning on staying here. And if, you know, if they knew that the Pacers were shopping him and it was probably imminent or whatever, I don't think they'd say anything. Um, but uh, the fact that it, it almost seems like he's been, um, you know, if, if you kind of look at the timeline of the whole thing, and, and this is kind of what I was referencing earlier, but, you know, obviously he says he's not going to play in the bubble and then he ends up playing in the bubble. And then, so at that point you're thinking, okay, he's definitely kind of detached from everybody else in some way. This is, uh, it sounds like when he's saying, hey, can I play with you basically? Um, and then by the end of the bubble. Can I pause for a second yeah. there, Tom? Yeah. He said it to the Knicks. To the Knicks. Like, that, I think that was the most, like, mind-blowing part of J. Mike's article. I was like, okay, Heat, all right, I get that. Toronto, I get that. New York Knicks, like, oh, my God. That was – yeah, sorry, you can continue. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. But, of course, the Knicks were in the bubble, of course. So, again, there's the timeline thing. Um, but I'm just – I'm just trying to think of the human nature in the bit and how like things evolve and and so they get through, then they fire Nate, and then he apparently it seems like has had you know a, approval of some some level with Bjorkman um, and is seemingly trying to make amends. How he's doing that, I don't know, but you know he, obviously it says that he let the Pacers know that he's all in and all that. He's trying to make amends and trying to move forward. And again, I feel like, you know, that, that there can't, there can't be much going on with him at this point. If he's doing that, it just seems all like PR to get him back in the fold with, with the team. But, um, but to Dave's point has been silent everywhere else. Although I, you know, honestly, if I was a player, I wouldn't want to get in the middle of any of that either. Um, so um, Would you want to if you loved your teammate, Victor Oladipo? Well, yeah. I mean, I see that. You know, I see that, yeah. If you're like, wait a minute, this is bullshit. This didn't happen. Um, and I know I heard from, you know, his his agent apparently said that he wasn't contacted by J. Michael as it was reported, you know, where J. Michael said he was going to do the story. The agent claims that 
he just got a random email. There was no urgency to it. He didn't think anything of it. But that's that side of the story. But yeah, man, but then I'd also I, say like as an agent, that's your job to. I mean, yeah, yeah. like I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean the fact that there's just, I mean they're really pushing that narrative. They got Tom Crean, you know, talking to Doc. It's like, yeah, I mean they're they're pushing back on his side so hard that um, as far as running it back, I just feel like at least with Vic, they're going to give it a shot. And um, it just is so surprising. Yeah. It, yeah it's, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sure. No, no, let's just get an amateur uh, psychologist armchair here a little bit. You know? <laughs> Mentioned that the, yeah. the Knicks being involved in it. I mean, my best guess is the what's ha- happening with kind of, like, I mean, he is joking, but like there are meanings to jokes. Yeah. You know, when you say yeah. like, hey, can I come play with y'all? Probably it's like, hey, you just beat me and I'm being kind of friendly, but also kind of like, I'm a little annoyed at these guys. Like, you know, and like, kind of joking around a little bit like that. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all to know that Victor Oladipo was offended when the Pacers gave him a reported uh, four-year $80 million extension offer with uh, with the injury still lingering. Um, and it might be kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. You know, it's uh, I'm the superstar. They didn't max me out. Um, they're not going to do that even though I got injured. And so having a little bit of truth behind that joke seems like a little bit less like I really want to play for the Knicks. I'm trying to communicate that to you right now, but kind of like, Hey, I kind of these Pacers, I'm kind of out on these guys. And now we're kind of joking around post game. Um, the fact that he would say, it just seems like so easy to me. And this is what drives me a little nuts. It's like, if you come out and say, dude, I'm just joking. We were just goofing around. You made this whole report. It was just a joke. Relax. And then, you know, like he could record a little video with his nephew and say, hey, make a knock-knock joke. Say, hey, Jay Michael, you going to do a report on this? Like there's a million different ways to just kill this thing. But instead he shifted into deny, deny, deny mode. Yeah. I think tells a little bit of something like that there's so many people that he got to go on background saying that that happened. If you if your first instinct is deny that you said that, probably might say a little bit about the fact that you might have put a little bit more truth into that than just a simple joke. But again, I know that's that's pretty hardcore into uh, amateur psychology uh, department there. But um, the fact that you shift into that denial versus like just relax, we were just we were just goofing around. I don't know. It feels like a little bit more to me. I mean, he didn't show up and play in the bubble, but he had three million reasons that he suddenly realized to be able to play in the bubble. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, another thing about his, his agent, maybe, not responding to the email quickly and not really realizing until the last second that he, he had to play in order to get three million bucks. Right. Uh, and, and the other thing <laughs> with both those is the, you know, using Shams as a mouthpiece when, you know, the Pacers have a, one of the best um, – media groups in the league and he's never doing anything for them um which and and also you know you would assume any any report from shams um anyone at the field house is reading at the same time we are which has to suck so um you know if you're trying to make amends as i was saying earlier that not the best way to go about it but Again, I think it goes back to Dave. I mean, what, what kind of advice is he getting? And I mean, this is going back for a couple of years. I mean, he obviously wants to be a, a star, a singer, a, a fashion designer, all that stuff, which is, you know, obviously distracting and, and uh, obviously has nothing to do with his injury. Uh, but, you know, he, he was on that rise and, and 
he had people advising him then as well. And, and now that he's going back the other way, kind of downhill a little bit as he's trying to recover from his injury. And, and um, you know, the Heat aren't batting the eyelashes at him and other teams. Um, now, now he's, you know, relying on the same people for advice, I guess. And, and man, it's not looking pretty. Yeah, no, I agree. I think what's just so weird, too, is all of the stuff that's coming out and not to deny the validity of the reporting. I think, first of all, Jay's and he's doing he's incredible at what he does. So I would never um, try and say that he's doing something like out of the blue. But I think it's just hard to decipher, too, because so much of this stuff happened months ago and we're just now getting it. But I, I, I agree with Dave. Like you look at, OK, well, the the response is almost like worse than anything else like if he had just come out and been like okay well hey yeah i was joking or this happened in the past we're at a new place now like i think it's that simple like it doesn't even have to be through team pr if he just came out and did it himself instead of through someone else like he could host a press conference and just be like hey i'm here i'm committed i'm a pacer all the stuff that happened yes it did happen but i'm in a better place now i'm on board with the coaching staff like I feel like it's literally that simple. It could be a five or ten minute thing, and but no. So I think it's just it's it's so different to me than the stuff with Paul because Paul was at least upfront about it. He's like, I'm not playing here. After it was, of course, a complete 180 that was unexpected, um, but he was he was open about it, and it just felt almost like Mean Girls, like in, in the background, like just a bunch of kind of frankly passive aggressive stuff that just like is very confusing. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't even know what to make of it. And I, I just question whether or not they can go into the season with Vic, if, if this is what's going on, because this is just what we're seeing. Like there has to be so much crap going on in the background, like for miles to actually pipe up and respond to Victoria on Twitter was like, that was crazy. I like, I, that yeah. was so unexpected. Um, and clearly not a bad, uh, not a good thing. I mean, and, uh, I'm sure Pacers PR was just having a great time on Thursday. Yeah, I'm sure after that, there was an email sent out to every, everyone on the team. Do not say anything, please. <laughs> Stop. <Yeah. laughs> so, uh, but, you know, with the, uh, uh, the other thing I was just thinking of is with Vic, you know, I feel like really the, the getting back in the mix and, and you know, looking for a positive future with the Pacers, if that's possible. It, has, it comes down to him, Brogdon. I mean, Brogdon's such a strong influence now um, on the franchise, on the locker room. Um, you know, it's kind of obvious that they didn't mesh. So somehow, you know, that, that's where the, they got to come together is those guys have to be able to, to work together somehow uh, for this to work at all. Can I say a little word as I'm going to take over as Victor Oladipo's lawyer here, say that yes. uh, show a little sympathy for him. I feel bad for him in a lot of ways because yeah, he was a number two, he was number two overall pick, number two overall pick goes to Orlando. Orlando is Orlando. He doesn't do very well. He's traded to OKC. He's in the middle of uh, Russell Westbrook's, you know, triple double uh, campaign. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of reasons why everybody's sort of relegated to a role player. They had two all-stars on their roster, didn't fully kind of grasp that, I think, uh, to a two degree. I'm not being, this is about the Thunder being critical. 
comes to Indiana, he becomes an all NBA player, completely takes over this franchise and thinks like, finally, I fulfilled my destiny as a top two pick. And now this is my franchise. And now I'm going to get mox contracts, no doubt. And then I'm going to be the guy at this franchise. I'm going to be the next Reggie Miller. I'm going to have it all set. This is awesome. It kind of falls apart a little bit sneakily with uh, maybe uh, going into his second season, but you know he still makes an all-star team. He's still pretty good for an Eastern Conference player. That injury comes down, and then it takes a while for him to really kind of realize it. But based on that slow start before the injury, then the long-term impact of that injury, it got to the point where the Pacers can't say for sure that they're going to max him out anymore. And I think that in his head, it was done. And I would yeah. too. If I was at that point, I'd be like, okay, that's, I got the mint. I am now a max per- person for the rest of my career. And now all my decisions are just where I'm going to play. And now it's like, eh, you're not actually going to get that max contract that you thought you're going to be. I'd be kind of worried about that too. And if you've hyped yourself up and saying like, I'm the guy that could be a little insulting to uh, you. And, um, you know, I've said this before, and this is kind of what I mean by, um, you know, the fact that the Pacers were the only team that had to say that to Vic. No other right. team had to say to his face that he wasn't going to get a max contract. Oh, the only team that could really like give him a giant extension or commit to at one point doing a giant extension is the Pacers. But they were kind of the messenger. And he kind of shot the messenger with that a little bit, I think. But this offseason, I guarantee you, he's been poking around a little bit like, hey, would you trade – you know, Miami Heat, would you trade this and this and then max me out? You know, the agent's kind of making that little poke. I think they've done those pokes and they've kind of starting to realize that no one else is going to do it either. That's a harsh reality to kind of sit on a little bit. And um, that's where a good team, I think, I assume would come into play. The right agent, the right right PR people, the right people surrounding him saying like, it is what it is. Time to call Slam Magazine and say, it's the resurrection. (laughs) I'm going to start tweeting out those workout videos you know, buy a bunch of gold watches and like show up with a mask and like, you know, use a little claw to like hand them to all of his teammates and say, you guys are cool. We're going to do it this year. Here's the, you know, like there's a million ways to do it. Right. And just like, someone's there, not someone's not doing their job. Someone just isn't in his ear saying, you got to reframe this. It sucks. You don't have that max contract guaranteed. Go out, kick butt, be awesome to your teammates and go out and earn it. Whether that's here or someone else, someone needs to be giving them that speech and it just, it just doesn't seem like it's happening right now. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And that was something I was thinking about too, like not to talk down on his agent, but he is the highest profile client on his agent by a mile. Like I, I think Derek Jones Jr. is like the next highest profile guy by Aaron by Aaron Turner. So that's, again, not to talk down on him, but that's part of that could maybe, be. Maybe a yeah. guy in that position, it's hard for him to have that talk. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you're an agent, you've got LeBron and you've got Anthony Davis and you've got everybody else. It's like, dude, Vic, man, you like. I'm sorry, but you got to be a little humbled here and get it done. And it might be just kind of hard for him to have that talk with uh, with Vic when that's his superstar. Yeah, exactly. And I think you you make such a great point bringing this up. I don't have any ill feelings toward Vic. Like I, I that's that's something that I just want to say so adamantly. Like this dude's a, a person, and, and I think he's made some decisions that he probably regrets. Maybe he doesn't regret them. I don't know. Obviously, they've come across poorly to a lot of people. But I also want to point out, this is like not criminal stuff. This is just trying to get what he thinks he's worth. And like you're mentioning, Dave, like I think part of what made Vic really damn good in 1718 is the wiring he has to believe that he is the best player on the court. Like 
And I think that's something I think about a lot. Like, how do you even contemplate when you realize that you're not actually that level that you think you are? And I think maybe that's kind of what's hit him a little bit this this off season. And hopefully things are, are riding the ship on that and he can get back. To, I, I, I want to see him get back to who he was. Um, but I, I agree. I think that's such a really good point to bring up because at the end of the day, dude's human, just like you or I, it just obviously in a very different set of circumstances. And, you know, I think he, to Dave's point, I think they're on the very cusp of that point where he is, where he's like, oh shit, I got to make the best of this year in Indiana. No matter what I've got, like you say, earn it. And, it, you know, it, it's now. I mean, the fact that his agents scrambling around now, getting to the media and trying, you know, they're trying to start making amends. I think, you know, maybe he's going to say something not through Shams um, will be, you know, kind of a start. Again, it's can he get back in great shape with his teammates? Um, but it really seems like he's making the effort to, to go for it this year um, after being completely humbled basically. And, you know, anecdotally, I think it's, it's interesting because as Mike says, you know, we got nothing against Victor. If he starts lighting it up again and is healthy, it's going to be great. Cause he's, I mean, he's a showman. He can put on a show when he's, when he's rolling. And I, I've, you know, there's a lot of people in this area that don't follow the Pacers like we do. Right. Um, but they like the Pacers. They love IU. And I've, I've had more people, you know, talk about Victor, and I'm like, they haven't seen any of this crazy news, you know? They just, oh, I hope Victor's back. I hope he might get traded. I hope that didn't happen, that type of thing. And part of me is like, oh, my God, you know, this is part of the, one of the problems patients have on some things like this is like, you know, they end up getting to the point where they're making decisions based on on getting people to the gym and, and getting, you know, exposure and, and that type of a thing. And Victor is still a guy who um, a lot of IU fans love ahead of him being a pacer. And so, you know, there's that angle of this whole thing as well. Um, but, you know, maybe Victor will fill a little bit of that pull as well, get back to his roots um, where, he, where he built himself up and, and come back strong this year. I mean, that obviously is the best case scenario we can, we can hope for at this point. You know, it seemed like uh, Nate had his uh, uh, assistant coaching staff set a little bit. Then it came out that Calvert Chaney was added to the staff. Is that potentially some small nod to uh, maybe he has a relationship with uh, uh, Victor and, and hopefully he's going to be sort of the uh, Victor uh, whisperer? I'm sure he's a good coach in his own right, a good coach prospect, but also maybe this is a, hey, this is your your, your IU guy, and, and, and hopefully uh, that can give him a Vic a little bit of conduit or motivation. Uh, I'd be interested to see how deep that connection is with Oladipo and see if that was maybe a small investment into uh, Oladipo returning back to form because it's another thing that Vic's going to have to face facts on and how good the Pacers were without him, how uh, uh, well they played, where they stood in the Eastern Conference, they kind of petered off a little bit because they had to give Victor Oladipo minutes and play him when he was not playing very well. Um, if he is an all NBA style player, then this team should be pretty darn good. Yeah. And he's got a little bit, 
a little bit of look in the mirror. Like if this team struggles out the gate a little bit and he's not playing that well, it's kind of like we've kind of proven that we were pretty good without you. And if you're in here uh, not playing well, um, he's hopefully sees a little bit of carpe diem here where if he comes out and plays like an all-NBA player, the pace is going to be real darn good. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Like, um, especially speaking on Kyle Cheney, like, yeah, he was director of b-ball ops for two years when, when Vic was at IU. So that's a little interesting thing to, to kind of point out too. And he, I didn't realize how long he'd been coaching too. He's been working in um, both front office player development and also as an assistant coach since I think 2010, 2009, 10 was his first year working with golden state. Um, yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting, especially considering, like you said, they they had put out that finishing piece on Friday. Like, oh, yeah, we we got all of our assistant coaches and now we have another assistant coach. But I'll, I'll be excited. And I think it's really cool for Indy, too. I mean, like uh, I was not around when when Calvert Cheney was really freaking good at Indiana, but he was really freaking good at Indiana. That goes back to my earlier point. He's a beloved uh in these area in this area because of his time with that year so maybe that's and blue also chips. a little indi- can't forget about blue chips well of course <laughs> um maybe that's a little indication that Vic and the team are trying to get on the same page because that's the thing that you know just from the Shams reporting over the from the, the injury comeback to the bubble to this latest um, thing it's like they just never seem like they're on the same page and, and always um, Vic's doing his own thing so maybe maybe this is a you know a small sign or uh, a nod to try and get them on the same page so um, I, I definitely think changing around won't hurt with Vic yeah yeah no that's a really great point well um, I think that covers up everything we need to kind of hit on today um, definitely we'll have a lot more stuff to hit on in the coming days Um, probably even tonight. So (laughs) thank you guys for coming on. We're going to take a quick break before we welcome on our next guest. Welcome back to the Indy Cornrows podcast. I'm psyched to be joined by a friend of mine and new writer over at eight points, nine seconds, Rhett Bauer. Rhett, how are you doing today, man? I'm great, Mark. Just, uh, just glad to be on here and appreciate the the people at eight points, nine seconds, giving me a shot. Yeah, of course, man. Yeah. I'll be sure to link uh, Rhett's first piece for them uh, on Indy Cornrows when I put the post page out. Um, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today before we get into some <laughs> trades. I know we're, uh, you and I both enjoy team building a lot. So we're looking at, at just talking about trades and, and kind of where this team's at, but keeping it realistic too. Um, but man, we had a lot of news drop. So, uh, James Harden just got the opportunity to become the first $50 million man in the NBA and said, no, I'd rather go to Brooklyn. So, uh, yeah. I think the first thing I just asked you right away, man, is what is your reaction to that? And then we can kind of go from there. I mean, to be so good at something that you could be offered 50 million and be like, nah, I'm good. I'll yeah. just, I'll, I'll figure it out down the line. Like that's just insane. But as far as the NBA goes, like the fit is weird in Brooklyn, if that's where he ends up going. But as far as talent, that's just insane. That's the, yeah, that's the most talented top three in the NBA easily. Yep. If they're, together and i think there are obviously a lot of questions about how they fit but ultimately i mean i think like we saw with golden state um i mean it's a little bit different but with golden state i think there were questions when kevin durant came in and they're like well can he play inside their system and to a large extent i mean they did seed a bit um but at the same time they slept block to like a 68 win season (laughs) so yeah uh, exactly like I, i i guess there would be probably quite a few questions about what their core looks like because um 
you're theoretically just to get to Harden's money and to try and make something that they're going to even want back, which I don't, we'll get that in a second, but yeah, um, that would be pretty much all of their, all of their starters and, and a couple of their key guys off the bench. So that would be a massive trade package. Yeah. The, thankfully they do have some, some decently big contracts outside of KD and Kyrie between Karis making a healthy 16 touring Prince at 14. So that gets you to, to 30 right there, which isn't too far off of Harden, especially when you know, you have to include Dinwiddie Allen and whatever else that, Rockets are going to ask for. Uh, it's just going to be interesting to see what sort of leverage they have with Harden's situation and how that ties into the Westbrook situation. We've heard so much about Westbrook's possibilities and how the Knicks aren't really that interested, but the Hornets might be. Mm-hmm. And and so it'll be interesting to see if one of those moves happens, what happens with the other. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I think that's a great point. It's crazy to think too. I mean, between the two of them, that's like almost eighty-five million dollars in salary, which yeah. is like an entire <laughs> roster almost. Like I think yeah. that, I think the minimum salary, I'm not minimum salary, the minimum roster this year is going to be like ninety-five or ninety-six million, something yeah. like that. Yep. So it's absurd. Um, yep. And I think you know, so in looking just in terms of actual trade value. Um, Woj put out in his piece, of course, it's like right at the end of the, the article or not article, but right at the end of the quote on, on the tweet. And then it's kind of a little bit buried in the article. But basically, Harden has demanded a trade to Brooklyn, but the Rockets have no interest in trading in Brooklyn, which I totally get that. It's yeah. not even remotely close to being an expiring. He's a two plus one right now. Um, so I personally just in my opinion, I don't think that he's going to get traded at least not right now, maybe it'll, I'd, I'd be shocked if they don't carry this into the season um, and try and recoup around that and see what they can get from a rush trade because that's pretty much guaranteed to happen now. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like I, I do, uh, it, it's a little bit like not entirely because Paul was on an expiring um, when he d- demanded his trade, but at the same time, you know, Paul was adamant. He's like, I want to get to the Lakers. I want to get to the Lakers. And yeah. of course he ends up going to OKC. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's um, one of the first things I think about right away is, well, he's probably not going to end up in Brooklyn if that's where he wants to go, because just the reality of it is it's very difficult to actually make that happen and, and have Houston get something that they want back. So, and, and even if this is even harder too, because I think when Paul got traded, he's what I, Paul was probably considered a top 15, 20 player at that time. Yeah. Um, when he got traded from Indy, but I mean, James Harden's a top five player. He won yeah. MVP. He's an MVP winner. He finished yeah. top three in MVP, like five years in a row. Like I, this is totally different. Like we just don't see this. So it's, so it's, it's wild. The thing that's going to be super interesting to me is trying to figure out a team that has salary, but also assets to match that. Because like with the AD trade, the Lakers took them into some cap space. And so you yeah. were able to send Ingram, Lonzo, Hart, all those picks, whatever, because you didn't need to match that salary. But of the teams out there that would be like, yes, obviously every team wants James Harden, but who has the combination of blue chip prospect, matching salary, and just, I guess those are really the two things. And I guess picks too would be the other one that would entice the Rockets. And if you think for one second, that the Rockets are going to trade James Harden over to Philly to Daryl Morey. I think, I think the NBA owners are just way too petty for that. Like 
people were talking about how he may have had his foot out the door anyways. Mm-hmm. And if you think you're going to, there's no way I don't, I mean, Ben Simmons might be on the table and at that point you might be stupid as an owner to turn that down. But I think that the pettiness of it might get in the way if, if yeah, not. no, that's a good point. But I think that's, I mean, that's something we're definitely going to have a, a pulse on, you know, if, if Ben yeah. Simmons becomes available or Joel yeah. Embiid, it depends Either on one. who, who yeah. they'd want to trade. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I think that would easily be the best package that anybody's going to put together. Like somebody yeah. even brought up Denver, you know, like Jamal Murray and MPJ. And like, I, that it's just, it's, it's, it's a nightmare scenario. Yeah. I personally am so not into the idea of him going to Brooklyn. No. Um, just because that would be a, I don't think it would be a particularly fun brand of basketball to watch. No. Um, well, that's what I was going to say. It's top three most talented, but it's also might be top three most dysfunctional, like, ever. Yeah, that would be <laughs> like, just a really odd group. I mean, like, yeah. KD obviously has a relationship with James. I'm yeah. sure that Kyrie and him do as well, just because yeah. that's how, how the league works. But um, it just in terms of trying to figure out how everyone would work in sharing the ball, I mean, I think their combined usage rate, if you take KD's last healthy season, I mean, I think they're like a 110 or 120% <laughs> usage rate. Yeah. So it's like between three dudes. Exactly. So yeah. trying to figure that out is, is, is nightmarish to me. Yeah. But it's yeah. also funny too, because for the most part, when you look at teams that win a title, these aren't the teams that do it, you know, no. I guess it's a little bit different because you could consider all these guys in their primes, obviously Katie's coming off injury. So we don't, don't know what he's going to look like, but I mean, I think the closest comparison like right now, would be, I mean, I guess the Heatles, but mm-hmm. Chris Bosch was not the level of player that any of these three guys are, I don't think. No. Um, I mean, Chris Bosch probably was like a top 30 player when he went. Um, yeah. And I guess, Somewhere yeah, I mean, Kyrie, Kyrie's probably the lowest ranked player out of all of them. He's like a yeah. top, top 20, top 15. I don't even guy think it's, still. I don't think it's probably. I think it's yeah. absolutely. Like, well, yeah. Cause even like, I mean, theoretically, Katie's going to be better until, until we see him not better yeah. than Kyrie. Katie's better. Yep. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. That's going to be interesting. Uh, getting down into more Pacers news. And we do, we just had to cover that because, A, that's huge, just monumental news. And that kind of stuff has ripple effects throughout the league. Yes. So that completely impacts how everything else is done. Um, and not to, like, just totally shoot this in, in the in, – I totally lost my wording. Shoot it in the bud, nip it in the bud, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Um, if James Harden were to get traded to Brooklyn, I would be so averse to Indy doing anything to be like win now, yes. right now. Because forget I just Gordon Hayward, be, forget Drew Holiday. Like, yeah, I just nope. feel like at this point, like there is no competing with that, and that's not to nope. be defeatist. That's just that's facts, man. That's like, realistic that would be absurd. Yeah. Um, but yes, getting more more Pacer centric. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Yeah, Mark Murphy, uh, Boston Herald came out today and said that uh, Gordon Hayward has till tomorrow at 5 p.m. to accept his player option. Um, so he currently hasn't, which is interesting considering it's 31.4, I mean, $34.1 million. Mm-hmm. Um, this is huge to him getting traded to Indiana, if that's possible, because that's obviously been rumored. Uh, Jared Weiss from The Athletic put that out. It's been from a few other people as well. Um, and we can talk about the machinations of that. Like, it's much more feasible for Gordon to get traded to Indiana if he does not accept that player option and yes. there's a sign and trade that happens. And yes. if you want to hit on that, cause I know, you know, just as well as I do, I think that would be a good starting point as well. Yeah. So first thing, Gordon Hayward makes $34 million, but wait, there's more because he has a trade kicker that brings it up to like 38.5 million. And that, the the team sending him would pay that trade kicker. So it'd be the Celtics paying it, but that's still a $38.5 million cap hit 
for the Pacers. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no chance that the Pacers are just going to willingly take an extra $4 million in cap because that means that's pretty much all of your cap space. That means no Justin Holiday. That means you can't use most of the mid-level, mid-level exception. And then you also have to match that 34, which is Miles Turner, Jeremy Lamb. That only gets you 27. So then you have to do Doug McDermott as well. And that's three really good rotation players for an expiring Hayward. So the only option, and I've been saying it for a while, once the Hayward and Turner stuff, it just has been circling for quite a while. But once you look into it, it's like there's no way the Pacers should trade for an expiring Gordon Hayward. The only option is a sign-in trade. And like you said, him not doing anything with his player option yet really is interesting because something's happening. It doesn't necessarily have to be Pacers. It can be somebody, but something is happening where he has incentive to decline that player option and re-sign, whether it's with Boston or in some sort of signing trade. So I, I don't know what sort of number I'd be comfortable with paying Gordon Hayward. Um, what do you think? Three year, four year? Yeah, no, I think well, it has to be three years for a sign and trade, but yeah, three years, four yeah. Years. So I think I would probably do th- my my walk away would would pre- well, just because looking at Gordon's thirty right now. Yeah, um, he's had injury history, but I think is that you can kind of belittle that a little bit and be like, hey, you know, they're not compounded yeah. injuries, exactly. Um, and just given, I mean, I will also talk about his value, but I think, uh, I mean, I would probably do three for like. Three for 70 would be my walk away probably. I don't think I would go any higher than that just because in terms of looking at the Pacers books, they're going to have to pay TJ Warren in two years. Yep. Um, so I think that's kind of what I'd look at. And maybe you give him a player option at the end. Um, mm-hmm. But right now, I think that what what would your walkway number be? About I'd be a little bit higher at 75. Yeah. Three for 75 is about right. I think anything more than that and you're looking – you can't even say like, oh, the cap might be rising because if any if anything we've learned this year is that you don't know what the heck's going to happen in yeah. three years. Well, yeah, uh, and even based off cap projections, it was either Bobby Marks or Albert Namad that put it out. Yeah. But it's only going to be raising by like $7 million yeah. a year for the next couple of years. And it's going to be stagnant this year, obviously. Exactly. I believe it might be stagnant next year, just depending on how revenue turns out. So it's not, yeah. like you're mentioning, it's not a surefire thing. Yeah, so then... I think 25 mil for a 33 year old Gordon Hayward is about right. Like I, I don't know if I would go any higher than that, but I will say that I would be interested in a four year for like a, a little bit less, like maybe, I don't know if, I don't know what his market's going to be, but like four for 80 with some incentives in there, if he's yeah. all-star or something like that, that, that would make some sense to me as well. Um, but I also just really like Gordon Hayward as a player. I do so. too. Yeah, even like, so yeah, even if you could do like four for 88 and it's descending or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Like even that would still be hard to stomach in the first year, but I think it'd be worth it ultimately. Yeah. Um, Cause I think his game's going to age well. And I think that can lead into our second part. Um, yep. You know, I think Gordon Hayward would probably be right about tied with Domas, if not slightly mm-hmm. valued more as the best player on the Pacers because he's a wing player. So I think he would probably take that edge slightly. Um, I just want to point out how good of a season he had in Bro- in Brooklyn. Jesus, everybody <laughs> plays in Brooklyn now, apparently yeah. in, uh, in Boston. I mean, granted uh, a lot of people have been like, well, you know, he was in a smaller role. He wasn't actually averaging that many points. Um, I mean, his efficiency was ridiculous. He's a really solid defender still. 
a really good secondary playmaker. He just does pretty much everything at a above average to to very good level and i think that kind of player would really be impactful for the pacers and as much as i love miles and and what he can do for the defense and what he theoretically might be able to do on offense if a new coaching staff can turn him around Mm -hmm. i think you look at hayward and his improvement with the fit of the team but then also just the way that he can make that offense even better and i think it's really hard to look and say that him and miles have equal value so i think you look at that and it's okay well, it's miles and however you cover the rest of that sign and trade and also mm-hmm. probably draft capital on top of it. Right. So that's been my, the whole idea of trading for an expiring Gordon Hayward is you're like, Hey, you know what? Boston can't use those three first round picks. So maybe you get those coming back and you solve, you know, you get a first round pick this year or two, mm-hmm. and then you also have Hayward coming off next year and you can either have the cap space or resign him. But if he's on a, longer term deal for three or four years, the Pacers have to send something back. Like I know miles is 24. I know he has a very rare skill set, but Gordon Hayward is the better player at the more important position. And what he did last year as the fourth option, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Fourth option option somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's just read off his stats this year. Rounding up a little bit, 18, seven, four assists with a half a steal on 50% from the field, 38% from three, and then 86% from the line. That's a really good player. Yeah. And that is as a fourth option. And like you said, I completely agree. Once, As soon as he comes through the door, he is 1A or 1B to Domas. But I, I agree that wing, ball handler, more important. So, like, does it take a first-round pick? Does it take two first round picks does it take Aaron Holiday I have no idea I I don't know what the evaluation of that would be um but I think I think that the value for Miles is not as high as what we think it is just because he he's been so disappointing like realistically speaking he's been disappointing maybe he hasn't been used correctly maybe it's been you and Caitlin were talking about today it's not all there's so many things that tie into why Mm -hmm. Miles has been underwhelming um that I don't know if Stevens and the front office looks at that. And it's like, Hey, we're going to get him at low value and make him better. Or if they're like, Hey, Hayward's a much better player and you're going to have to pay for that regardless of the, what the potential of what miles can be. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a great point. And I think it's also important to look at kind of the value too, of if you do move off of miles, you have that ability to actually slide go up in the rotation and give him yep. minutes. And I think yep. that's really important to me. At mm-hmm. least I think, you know, we've talked about this just offline too, about the Pacers being able to cultivate draft picks and yeah. develop their players. And I think that's something that Bjorken and his staff are really looking at doing. But if Miles and Domas are both going to be there, it's going to be very difficult to get Goga actual minutes. So yeah. I think that would be incredibly value as well. Yeah, it's it's addition by subtraction a yep. little bit. Just be, and this was this was what I wrote about. Our conversations is what inspired me to write about that because it's like it's so crazy to look back and realize that Goga of the rookies that played 30 games or more this season was 41st out of 44 rookies yep. in minutes played. He played eight minutes a game. And like, so it should be a priority for Bjorkman to get him in the rotation one way or another, whether we have both bigs or not. And I think that the opportunity cost of keeping both bigs, both in terms of asset management and Goga's development would is, is pretty high to the point where I think it's inevitable we end up trading them. It's just a matter of when and what we get back. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, so I think we've pretty much hit the base on, on Miles' trade value. Um, yeah, we have to talk about Vic's trade value as well because I mm. think I've really been thinking about this too. It's off. It's very difficult to come up with context because that that you know that obviously impacts so much of it. But yeah. I feel like in a lot of ways, Vic might have higher trade value right now than Miles does. Maybe there's a team who's like super desperate and thinks, okay, we can really take a swing, and we we trust that our training staff can uh, you know can keep Vic healthy. Um, so yeah. maybe they are willing to overpay a little bit, but at the same time, I think just because of the sheer ease of being able to to translate Miles' skills to any roster um, and the upside that's there, I think it's easier to to move him. And I mean, Vic's also on an expiring, so there's that yeah. inherently as well. So I think, um, what, what do you think on on his kind of value right now? Like, if you kind of project it, where would you put it at? So. I, it really depends to me on the team that they're going to, which is such a cop out, but mm-hmm. hear me out because there's so many teams out there that would look at Vic as something different. Everybody looks at Vic from a different lens. Like yep. Toronto might be interested in trading for Vic because he's expiring. And so it's like, okay, clear insane amount of cap. Maybe you get Giannis. If you don't, you have bird rights for Vic. Boom. Atlanta. Great fit with Trey young. We have an insane amount of cap space. Nobody's coming to Atlanta as a free agent we can keep him. And then it's a, it's a good fit there. And then people like Brooklyn, they could use the fit for defensively and all that stuff. But I think the bar for getting Vic is so much lower than what it's been for a potential second or third best player on a championship team that his market should be a little bit better. This has been my argument for, for quite a while is like, how often is there that you can get a player with Vic's ceiling, I recognize the floor is low because he didn't look good. He's injured. Who knows how many games he's going to play and at what uh, level of production. But how often can you get a player like that for, like, Dinwiddie and pick 18? Like, that is that's, – that's a pretty easy price to pay if you're Brooklyn. If you swing on James Harden and Drew and miss or the price is too high. Like, and if you're, if you're Denver and it can be, you know – Gary Harris and another pick or two or something like that. Like that's such an, a low bar of entry to get somebody like Vic. Um, but I do think, like you said, miles, skill set is it translates to every single team in the league that doesn't already have a starting center. So he doesn't need the ball. Obviously he would like the ball more cause that's, I mean, he sacrificed quite a bit for the team, but yep. spreads the floor block shots plays good pick and roll defense like that is all you could ever want from a center in this league right now and so it just depends on on the team that's that's asking yeah no i totally agree um so i think we can kind of dive into some of our trades now off of that um one thing that i want one trade i want to bring up right off the bat before we get to some of yours um that i've thought on just you know i was thinking about it today i Honestly, I, I, I pulled up 2K and was just going through rosters for the hell of it just to even, like, think about it. Um, and I, I've contemplated this one for a while. Originally, I was super against it. But what are your thoughts on the idea? Because, you know, this one was reported a little bit. Um, I think it was by ESPN. Um, the idea of Eric Bledsoe for Victor Oladipo because Milwaukee had – there had been mentions of Milwaukee being interested in Victor and, and making that trade and kind of having it centered around Eric Bledsoe. Um, obviously, I, I think Eric Bledsoe's a little bit the, his his value gets diminished or 
um, kind of obscured by what happens in the playoffs. Um, but I think you look at who he is as a regular season player. Um, before I give my opinion, I'd love to hear what you think on the idea of a, of a Bledsoe trade. I have gone back and forth a lot on that because Bledsoe solves a lot of the issues yep. we have at guard that especially if we end up losing Vic, obviously we, Vic is in the deal, but just thinking in the grand scheme of things, he solves a lot of problems that the Pacers have at the guard position is in terms of point of attack, secondary ball handler creation and just stuff like that. Yeah. But I don't think I would take Bledsoe at all. I think there would have to be a third team involved because you'd have to go to Brogdon and be like, Hey, yep. you're going to have to share ball handling duties and you're mostly going to be shooting guard now because Eric Bledsoe is the point guard. And I just don't know if that's, if that's going to fly super well, what's, what's your thoughts? Yeah, exactly. I, I come from the same place on that. As much as I like Eric Bledsoe, um, there's really just no other way to make that deal happen nope. monetarily. Well, uh, actually, that that's would, not true. Well, I mean, you could make it happen monetarily, yeah. but in terms of it actually making sense for the teams, like, right. I, I don't know if they there's another way to do it, really. But yeah, I agree. I think uh, you, uh, Caitlin mentioned this one day when, when we were talking on pod, like, Okay, so you're gonna lean over to, to Malcolm Brown and yeah. say, Okay, you're playing shooting guard again, even though yeah. you wanted to come here to play point guard <laughs> yeah. with the exact yeah. same guy who was making you play shooting yeah. guard in Milwaukee. Exactly. Yep. I, I do think that if there's a third team involved, that DiVincenzo in 24 yeah, is an like okay is an okay return. Like realistically speaking, I don't know what Vic's value is, but getting our pick back and a I would say above average shooting guard. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not above average, maybe average, but DiVincenzo is pretty good um, and cost-controlled, young, and I think that's generally pretty okay. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really want Bledsoe on the team, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. If Malcolm wasn't here, a different story. But yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, DiVincenzo is like – I'm not really sure what he's going to be in the league. I think he kind of projects right now. Like, he, he had a solid season, but it also, like, was kind of up and down. Uh, it didn't shoot super well from outside, which is still kind of a question – yeah. Um, but also then you could say like, I mean, Milwaukee all around wasn't like an awesome outside shooting team, just a high volume team. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think in terms of if you can get your own pick back and make DiVincenzo happen, like, I think that's the ideal kind of package right now. Like the yeah. idea of just getting a young, a young player with question marks, but still upside. And then maybe mm-hmm. you get some minor draft capital along with it. Yep. Absolutely. So then I think, well, I'll, I'll throw out one of yours. Okay. So I'm actually going to steal this from Tony East from Locked On Pacers okay. because he brought it up and I really liked the idea of it. And it just seems a lot more realistic than some of the other ones that I'm sure you and I are going to get to. Yeah, uh, It would be Oladipo for Seth Curry, Maxi Kleba, and either 18 or Dorian Finney-Smith with maybe pick 31 sprinkled in there. Um, so in this case, you get more role play, more role players without a yeah. doubt you're not getting like Seth Curry is probably best as a backup Maxi Kleber is probably best as a backup but Dorian Finney-Smith plays a very very important position and is a pretty good defender and shooter and if not him then pick 18 and or 31 whatever is some two pretty good picks because I feel like with this draft there may not be the top end talent but there's some pretty good players in the back half of the first round that can contribute now or you can reach for some projects uh that that can be pretty good yeah no i uh so i i have thoughts on this one because i remember when it first came out 
Um, yeah. I had questions. Um, but just in really thinking about where Vic's trade value is at, I think I actually, if I'm Dallas, do you do this if you're Dallas? I think that's, that's I, I don't, I don't do it with Dorian Finney-Smith. I yeah, would do it I think eight. I agree. If it's just, if it's Kluber and yep. and Seth Curry, I would do it. Yep. But I think just with, with how fit, he's on a cost control deal, he's yep. their best defender. Um, and yep. he, he improved as a shooter this year. I think, so I think it'd be hard to stomach that and mm-hmm. uh, get back a guy who's on an expiring. So mm-hmm. if I'm the Pacers though, if you get just Curry and, and Kleba, I mean, I think, and well, and, and the pick as well. I mean, I think and the pick it, yeah. obviously is a nice thing to have. Um, I know the Pacers aren't super high on this draft that came out today with, there was a comp- media call with um, the director of scouting. Um, so, I mean, Curry would be a nice backup, but at the same time, where does that put Aaron holiday? Where does that put right. TJ McConnell? You know, I think that would be kind of funky. Um, Maxi yep. Kleber would definitely be a nice guy to have factor in, but then again, is there a trade happening with miles? Um, yes. how is that shaking out as well? So I think, um, if there's a concurrent trade, I think that there's upside to that, but at the same mm-hmm. time, I think I'd almost rather take Vic in and, and see if you can recoup some of his trade value before the trade deadline. I agree. I, I don't think that's a deal I would do right now, but I do think that but if they if traded the Dorian Finney Smith too, I think I would actually think about it. If, if they threw yes, if they threw in DFS, I would absolutely do it. But one thing that I think is very, very interesting is we talked about team need and you and I have talked a lot offline about what this team needs. And it kind of like Domas is not a rim protector. So what you yep. need at the power forward position is somebody who both stretches the floor and protects the rim. And do you know what Max Kleber does? It's fantastic because at that. He, he shot, he shot 37% from three and he blocked 1.1 shots per game and is like, I've, went super I nerded out hard on him after I listened to Tony talk about him because I realized like I don't know that much about him and I I just have too much time on my hands right now uh but he his coaches used to hammer him for like lateral movement yeah so like being able to move his feet on the perimeter and that's I watched a ton of Maxi Kleber highlights because I'm a nerd but he's actually good on the perimeter. So like you don't lose that much defensively. Like he's not a lockdown and he definitely isn't miles on the, on the rim protection, but he, he fits a need that the team has and he's cost controlled for two or three more years. So, I mean, it's not the worst, but I definitely wouldn't do it now unless DFS is included. And, yeah, and for sure. And it, yeah, he's, he's better at getting out to the corners than miles is, but he's mm-hmm. less of a rim, rim protector. So I think that's a good way to yeah. put it. Um, he kind of like solves it a little bit. And I, I, I agree. He's yeah. better as a utility big coming off the bench, Yes, but could also spot start. Um, so yes. I agree. Like he's, he's the guy, like if he became a free agent right now, if the Pacers had a way to get him, he would be a perfect yes. bench guy. If you're perfect yep. world, not thinking about the fact that Goga needs to play. Um, yep. Yeah. So, all right. So I, I think we're, we're kind of both on that one. Like, eh, like, you know, it, it, yeah. it would just depend on concurrent things. Um mm-hmm. So my next one, which it's going to be very, very difficult for this to happen now. Um, I was very, very much so on board for trying to swindle Kelly Oubre away from, from the Phoenix yeah. Suns. He's now part of the Oklahoma City Thunder, but not officially until I believe uh, Bobby Marks said it's going to be finalized tomorrow. Um, I think so, Mark Stein put out earlier today that they did make it official. Oh, they made it official fully? Yeah, oh, I man. thought for okay. sure that they wouldn't because of the cap implications of that. But uh, yeah, 
I, I, oh, I they, thought they I officially that. completed it. Yeah. Damn. Okay. Well, never mind. You can't get Kelly Ruby yeah. right now until like yep. 70 or no, 90 days from now. So yeah, that's, yeah. Well, that's unfortunate. Um, yep. That was my yeah, thought. Cause too. that was my, yeah. My whole idea with that was, okay, well maybe the Pacers can find a way to get themselves in this deal. Uh, you mm-hmm. get some kind of draft capital into uh Oklahoma city and, and you have uh-huh. Kelly Oubre rerouted to the Pacers, but yep. that's not going to happen now. So yep. <laughs> what is your next one? Uh, my next one is it's, it's a miles trade. So we've talked about this before and I don't know if either team does it because of a couple things, but the main deal is miles Turner for DeJounte Murray. And the reasoning for this DeJounte Murray is 23-24, is an insane defender on the perimeter, is the youngest player to ever make an all-defensive team, and is on contract for four more years at $14 million. That is That is about as good of a prospect, I think, as you can get for Miles. Um, and the Spurs have a significant number of young guards at that position. And DeJounte is the most expensive of those. Cause he's the one that's on his extension. So they have Derek white, they have Lonnie Walker jr. They have Keldon Johnson. Who's really more of a I shooting guard, Johnson. but I guess, yeah. 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 Uh, and, and honestly looking at the deal, like miles Turner for DeJounte Murray straight up. I don't know. I, I probably wouldn't do it if I was the Pacers unless nothing else came to fruition, but um pick 11 was definitely too much to add on, but Keldon Johnson may have been like right in the sweet spot for the Pacers to do it. But I'm also dreaming because yeah, I I don't, I think love DeJounte. um, Yeah. Yeah. So I think this one's interesting because uh, you know, like you're mentioning, it's a little bit riskier for the Pacers. Obviously DeJounte has a little bit of injury history, but I think you look at it and it's like, okay, well the Spurs have uh, Jakob Pertl is their biggest free agent this, uh, this off season. Mm -hmm. So if they were to trade for miles, miles is definitely an upgrade over Pirtle. Um, He's probably, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he's going to get paid more than I think Pirtle will end up like, I think yeah. Pirtle is going to end up being probably around like a mid level type guy. I agree. Um, when, when he comes down at the end of his deal. Um, but I think they look at, okay, well maybe we can mold miles in our player development. And the idea mm-hmm. too, is they're kind of log jammed on the wing and, and guard position in San Antonio. Um, and maybe they view Derek White as their guard of the future because he was much more active from the perimeter than DeJounte was. He's still not a super established shooter, uh, is coming off injury, obviously, and had kind of a down year. Um, so I think you look at that and you're like, okay, well, we have two parts that don't necessarily make sense in either of our systems. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can just do a swap and see what happens. I think mm-hmm. the Pacers would probably be less apt to do this, and maybe you and I are a little bit high on DeJounte. But I love DeJounte. I think, like, like we mentioned, I mean, he would solve – a need for the Pacers as a point of attack defender. Well, really not having to be the, the, the lead guard. I mean, I think you yeah. obviously hope that he can expand himself as a shooter, um, but you can trust him to run secondary actions. He's still like a decent passer um, and he's a good cutter. And I, I still think there's something there and he's not a finished product. Well, some might, might think he is. I still think yeah. that there's definitely something there as a player. That's what I was going to say is the upside piece for both teams makes sense because if you can unlock miles, then you've got, there's only like two or three players in the entire league who could do what miles does. It's yeah. the theoretical version of miles and DeJounte, you could say the same thing. Like if, if he, if he gets in a more comfortable role and more confident role where he doesn't have to have the ball in his hands all the time, but he also has shooters around him, like him playing next to Brogdon. I think those two complement each other 
as well as any other guard you're going to put next to Malcolm Brogdon because of the yeah. defensive uh, versatility between DeJounte, but then the offensive shooting between DeJounte slashing and uh, Brogdon shooting. Like, I just think that's a, that's a great pairing, but ultimately I'm not sure something like that happens just because I don't think the Spurs want to want to get rid of their cost controlled DeJounte Murray in order to pay Derek white next year. Like, I just don't see that realistic right now. Yeah. So here's another caveat. All right. So okay. to make it a little bit sweeter for the Pacers, what if you add in Rudy Gay and swap Doug McDermott? So th- it ends up mm-hmm. it's, uh, looking at it salary wise, it works. The Pacers would have to, yeah. they it would probably be a little bit funkier with how they could spend the MLE. But Rudy Gay is yeah. still a really nice player. Um, he he'd is. be on an expiring. So I think, and he also kind of fits a position of need, giving yeah. uh, some more versatility at the 3 4. So I think yeah. that's an interesting one to look at as well. Um, not entirely, again, not entirely sure what happened, but I actually, yeah. if I had to trade for any of the three veterans on the Spurs roster, it would be for Rudy. Absolutely. I mean, the, just number to salary wise, there's no question that that's who I would yeah. go for. Um, but also fit for the Pacers because we don't need a DeMar DeRozan or a LaMarcus Aldridge. We need a backup small forward, power forward that can score a little bit. And that's Rudy Gay. So, yeah. You remember when he was almost a Pacer in 2016? Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I was really hopeful that was going to happen, actually, because he's one of my favorite players from growing up. And yeah, I was I was really sad when that deal didn't go through. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, so, so many deals that almost happened. Oh, I know, man. At least it's not a, that's not quite Danny Ainge level of, oh, well, we tried yeah. to make this deal happen, but it didn't. Um, yeah. Do you have any other deals to bring up? I do. I have one more that I'm not, the idea of it has been rolling around in my head. I, I have two, but okay. one is basically Turner to the, to the Hornets for Zeller and like a Miles Bridges or something. Now, they're not going to trade PJ Washington because yeah, PJ exactly. Washington is better than Miles Bridges and is probably he's probably their best player. Their yeah, I think he's definitely player. like their highest upside player right now. Yeah, outside of the pick number number three. Obviously. Yeah, exactly. But but then Miles Bridges, I'm not sure. Like that's I don't think that's high enough of a ceiling to trade Miles for an expiring Cody Zeller. So I'm not sure what that looks like, but. Charlotte, if they miss on Christian Wood, Montres Harrell, and then they end up trading for Westbrook, they could really use a stretch center like Miles. And I think that would be that might be something there. I just don't know what the next thing would be for that. Speaking of Westbrook and the Rockets, Robert Covington mm-hmm. is the perfect fit next to Sabonis. And I don't know if that's something that the Rockets would entertain. And I don't know if that's something that the Pacers could even pull off considering how many teams would probably be going after Robert Covington. Um, But he's a guy I would absolutely love to have on the Pacers. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, that's a great point. And I actually would counter too. you. You might even say that the Pacers have one of the better options to trade for Robert Covington because a a lot of teams will be like, okay, well we can give you a first round pick um, or something like that. But if you trade miles, he's a, cost controlled yeah he's not a first round i mean he was a first round pick but like he would be the youngest player on on the roster i believe yeah i'm looking through right now if they traded for miles he would be the youngest player on the roster other than chris clemens and he's a he's a cap hold right now daniel house is older than miles yeah daniel house is 27 i believe yeah oh my gosh he's 26 yeah that's crazy and he's their he's their youngest player in the rotation (laughs) um so yeah i mean i think i i agree i think there would be a lot of team 
pretty much every team would be taking a call for Robert Covington. Yeah. But the idea of getting him as a guy next to Domas would be fantastic. Yeah. That uh, I, if there's a player to put next to Sabonis, it's, it's Robert Covington and Jonathan Isaac. Those are the two players. Oh God. Because imagine that, Jonathan Isaac on the Pacers. I, I would, don't even want to, cause it just makes me sad. That'll never, <laughs> I agree. I would literally kill for that. Um, that would be oh my just amazing if that happened. Yeah. But, um, awesome. I'll be honest. I, I we could we've talked about the Buddy Hield trade so many times. I personally am not don't. about a Buddy Hield trade. Um, no, you can always mention it. Like, yeah, but I just don't think it makes a lot of sense fit wise. I don't know why the Pacers would do it. I'd rather I'd honestly rather have Miles than than Buddy Hield and, and just try yep. to see how that works. Yeah, we, I think we've talked if, about it before. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, if you add Buddy Hield, you just have more questions than than you do if you have Miles. So yeah, he um, just doesn't do anything that the Pacers need. Like we need obviously he gets shooting, paid a lot more have too much shooting. He's the highest played play, Pacer on the team. He wouldn't be the highest paid place, highest paid Pacer. Goodness, uh, as soon as he walked through the door. Yeah, it, it's like twenty four million dollars for him. He's a man. I just I went on a long trade Twitter rant about that for way I do longer recall. than I should have. That was a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just listening to so many people talk about Buddy Heald for Vic is just that's such a huge downgrade and doesn't solve any of the Pacers' yeah. problems. And it so. doesn't make sense for Sacramento either, except they would get off no. of, they would get off of Buddy's money. So it would make sense for yeah, them. I guess. But yeah, yeah I don't uh, know, man. No. Well, yeah. So as far as realistic trades go, I think that's uh that's pretty solidly where you're at. You can obviously take some more um from there, but yeah, as is I'm I'm I think my closing thing that I'd ask you would be what are your um, what are your feelings on whether or not the Pacers will make a move and, and what would make this a uh, disappointing is the wrong way to put it, but it's the same question Caitlin asked me today. You know, what would yeah. make this a um, kind of disappointing off season in your opinion? So I, as soon as I heard her answer, I was like, yep, that's it. So for those of you that didn't listen, it would be that Gordon Hayward and Drew holiday get moved and the Pacers aren't involved in any way, shape or form. That would be that would be a disappointing offseason, um, which we went through this entire thing and didn't even mention Drew for Miles, which yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah, Drew for Miles There's, and like Doug McDermott or or Jeremy Lamb, whoever makes yeah. more sense. And you probably have to add a draft pick to that too, to be honest. You would. But the thing about it, like, and we're going back to a more trade conversation. I'm okay with it. Drew Hol- yeah, Drew, Drew Holiday has already just like, it's been reported that he will not pick up his player option for next year. So he's expiring. He's an expiring contract. Like that is that has to be taken into consideration. But also, if you're a team like Denver, if you're a team like Brooklyn, like you need Drew Holiday. Like and Atlanta, same thing with trading for Vic. Like you should get in there and overpay to get somebody like Drew Holiday in your organization next to a Trey Young, exactly next to Jamal Murray, next to Kyrie. And like I just don't know. It it really depends on what David Griffith wants. If Miles Turner is the thing that they are going to go for this offseason then like there could be a deal there, but otherwise I'm not sure. Like I don't put two picks in for drew as, ex, as an expiring. I don't yeah, think that's, I would agree with that. Um, but but yeah, I, I honestly like I'm comfortable saying, okay, I'll trade miles and Doug and we'll add, I'd maybe do two seconds. I don't know if I like, see, do you really want to add a first to that? I don't know if I'd add a first to that. I, and expi- it's, it's an expiring. Yeah, like that's exactly, that's why I get insane. hung up on that too. So, but then I think you also kind of look at it in terms of, all right, Aaron's here. Yep. Hopefully Justin's resigned. That's another thing you could add in. All right. If you trade 
say you trade. And again, this is all just like hypothetical stuff. There's so much more that goes into it than just looking yep. at the cap. But if you trade Jeremy and miles, you then open up like an extra 3 million in cap space that exactly. theoretically lets you re-sign Justin on like a three-year deal close exactly. to the full MLE. So then you have mm-hmm. all three holiday brothers. I think Drew would be much more willing to resign in a, in a place mm-hmm. where he's playing with both his brothers. I mean, that's just like, that, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think I at know. that point, I'd be, I, if it was Lamb instead of McDermott, I think I might be willing to put a first in. Protected, of course, but to, to that extra, a little over $3 million could be the difference between Justin Holiday and not Justin Holiday. Like, yeah, that is a, that's a pretty big difference. And so you're looking at the opportunity cost of a protected first versus Justin Holiday, or I don't even know what a, I've been so focused on Justin Holiday for the MLE that I don't even know what my other targets would be. Like some people yeah. say Joe Harris. There's no way Joe Harris. He's going to go way more than MLE. Yeah. Yep. Brooklyn's. Uh, see, I don't even know if Brooklyn will end up paying him because somebody if, will. Yeah. Oh yeah. Somebody sure. he'll probably get like, I, my range for him is probably 12 to 16 a year. I feel like yep. that's what he gets. Um, yep. But no, yeah. In terms of, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll do a whole, we can do a separate yeah. podcast talking about MLE, but oh uh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rhett, this was fun, man. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug before you get out of here? Uh, yeah. So I wrote my first article for 8.9 seconds about a couple of players that Coach Bjorken can look to play a little bit more, uh, mostly talking about Goga and Aaron and the uh, the disappointing rookie seasons that both of them had for faults that weren't really their own. And uh, the the comments that, he, that Coach Bjorken made in his presser really has me optimistic that they're going to get some playing time. And I just wanted to get a get a starting point as to where they're coming from and why they might uh they might deserve some more opportunity but i'm also working on a couple more things for them uh just the real real beginning but i'll be putting some more things out so be on the lookout for that awesome well yeah i'll uh, i'll be sure to plug that for you as well it was a good read um to everyone awesome. listening of course go follow Rhett. i really love talking with him um of course if you haven't already please be sure to rate and review the pod uh Read us over any corners, of course, read eight points, nine seconds as well. Just have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.